We'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. We're continuing, of course, our study of the gospel of Luke. And Liz, we've been seeing Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man, the one who came or has come to the earth to be the substitute and sacrifice for the sins of the world. He is our Messiah and he is our Savior. Now, as we continue this morning, we're seeing the ministry of Christ. He's in northern Israel. He's around the Sea of Galilee. He is showing that, indeed, he is the Messiah. He's showing his authority, and he's doing it by two ways. One, he's giving signs. He is healing, feeding, raising people from the dead, forgiving sins, and then he is teaching the good news, the good news message of Jesus Christ. And, and, and powerful because he is declaring that he is the Christ and he's showing that he's the Messiah by his words and his works. Now, as we continue this morning, I think we're going to see one of the most famous parables in the Bible. Really a famous passage, but a famous parable. The sower went out to sow his seeds into the field. And we see the different soils and we see the different results. And as we look at this section, we're not only going to see truth concerning salvation, but we're going to see truth concerning growth and then even fruit, producing fruit as a believer. And our goal, of course, is to gain from our study and this famous, famous parable, and we might be able to make application in our lives. Well, when you think of the Great Commission, when people say that, we think about, okay, that's the plan that God has for us to do. We're his representatives on this earth, and we have a commission and a plan. Well, where is that found? If you thought about it, you say, well, it actually, it's in all four Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the very beginning of the book of Acts. But the most famous part of it is found in Matthew. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came out and spoke, saying, all the authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all which I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the famous one. Well, the, the, the charge there is there's only one uh, you know, thing in there that's uh, an imperative, a command, and that's to make disciples. And it's really a two-fold aspect of making disciples, evangelism and training, going where they are and leading them to Christ and then equipping them and training them. Salvation, discipleship, dealing with eternal life and growth. Well, this morning, as we look at this parable, Jesus teaches that it, we really see both aspects. He talks about salvation because he talks about receiving the word, and we're going to see how all that fits together. And then we're going to see growth because some grow, but, but only one really produces fruit, and we're going to talk about that. And our goal as believers, of course, is to carry out that great commission and to lead people to Christ and help them grow. And so as we see this, we'll be challenged, I think, from the parable and Jesus' teaching. Well, let's begin. Let's remember where we are. Jesus is the northern part of Israel. He's carrying out his ministry. In these last several weeks, we have been seeing that he's showing his authority. And he did all these different things. He, he had his authority over disease and over doubt and over death and, and even forgiving sins. Now, this morning, two things stand out. One is we're going to see his ministry. There's a summary. The first three verses of chapter 8 are really a summary, the summary uh, as he proclaims the good news message. And then we're going to see a particular parable. And it's, it's famous. And in this section, this whole section, ch- chapter 8, is a long chapter again. In fact, if you notice, the Gospel of Luke is, is, is such a long book. Many of the chapters, like chapter 6 had almost fi- had 49 verses, and chapter 7 had 50 verses, and chapter 8 is going to have 56 verses. Chapter 9 is going to go you know, way up there as well, 62 verses. So it's just a long book. And so as we go through this, this little section in chapter 8, I mean, we're going to see two parables followed by four miracles. And we're going to see his authority again over nature and demons and disease and death. And, and some of the stories in this chapter 8 are very famous that you've heard of them all of your life and want to see it as we go through it. As we get, uh, as we start here, we're seeing a summary of his ministry. He's going through cities. He's going through little villages. He's proclaiming the good news message. He is teaching the word of God. He is performing miracles. And the whole point is to show who he is, that he is the Messiah. Now, as we begin this morning, let's see who's with him. Because this is the first time he names a bunch of people who are 
he's actually named some names of people who were with him. Let's look at it. Chapter 8, look at verse 1. Soon afterwards he began going from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and, and then he goes on in verse 2 and names some more. It says soon afterwards. Now this means, the way this is written in the Greek, it was not very long after he'd been in that Pharisee's home. You remember he'd been invited to eat at the Pharisee's home. Pharisee showed no love for Jesus, didn't believe in Jesus, didn't do anything. And here was the sinful woman who came in who loved him, who had believed in him. She had already had forgiveness of sins and, and all of this. And she comes in and she uh, pours this uh, perfume on his feet and shows him great love. Well, not very long after that event, it says he began going from one city and village to another. He's going around to different places. You remember early in, in, in one of the other Gospels, they come to him and they say, all the people are looking for you. And he says, no, we've got to go to different cities. This is why I have come. And so it says he's going from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. Now, proclaiming and preaching, these two words stand out. Proclaiming and preaching, in fact, in the original language, they actually go together. The way it's written in our English, it says proclaiming and preaching. But what it literally says is proclaiming and preaching. It says announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. The word proclaim means to announce, and the word preaching actually means the good news. So he's proclaiming and announcing or pronouncing the good news message of Jesus Christ, the good news of the kingdom. He's proclaiming this message. What is the good news of the kingdom? Well, the good news of the kingdom is the king's here. He has come to the earth to die on the cross and pay for sin, but he's announcing to the nation of Israel that he's the Messiah and the Savior. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has come to pay for the sin of the world. And all who believe in him will have eternal life and be in the kingdom. That's why it's good news. And so he says he began proclaiming and preaching or announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. You know, we're to do the same thing. We get to announce the good news message. We go in our area where we live and we tell people how Jesus Christ came to the earth, how he died on the cross, how he paid for sins, how he rose again, and that all who will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, that's the good news message. It's a great message. It's cost nothing. You know, there are people who go around all over places selling people things, saying, you got to get this, it's only $400. And they don't have a problem with going and doing that, but it seems to me that we have a problem going and giving people the message that costs absolutely nothing. It's the gift of eternal life. And we get to tell them that. And so he was proclaiming the, and, and the good news message of the kingdom. We get to do the same thing. So when we think about that, two things I want you to think about. Number one, do you know the message? Are you ready? Are you prepared? I mean, are you proclaiming this gospel message? Uh, that, do you know the message, the good news? And, 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 and could you go into the Word of God and show somebody how they could have eternal life? And if you said, I don't feel that confident, call me. You need to go through our 412 study. It's 14 lessons, great studies. We've got them going on at different times. Also at CBI it goes on. But you can take that, and in that it will show you how to share your faith. And if you said, I don't want to wait for that, come meet with me. I'll meet with you, and I'll spend an hour with you, and I'll show you how can you can be very confident on sharing your faith. The second part of this is not only do you know the message, but are we proclaiming the good news message? Are we ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is within us? And uh, we want to do that. Now, it says that soon after that event, he began going from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching, or we'd say announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. Who's with him? Who's helping him carry out this ministry? Notice the end of verse, uh, of verse 1 says, The twelve were with him. Now, the twelve, don't get confused, because there were a lot of people who followed him around. Then there were some who had believed in him. Then there were some who were called his disciples, because they were following him wherever he went. And then there were twelve, which he had chosen, called the apostles. 
12 people. We saw that several, several weeks ago, several chapters ago. The 12 were with him. But there's something else. Notice, he goes on to say, and also... Some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cruza, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. So he says there were some women with him. Now, I want you to understand, this is contrary to the custom of the day, that women would be traveling around with these men. Now, it was okay if the women were the wives of these men. In this culture, if you were a wife, you could travel around with your husband. But these were not the wives of these people. These were women who traveled around. And what were they doing? Notice what it says. First of all, these are the ones who had been healed. They had been uh, cured of sicknesses. Uh, they had been healed of evil spirits. There's Mary Magdalene. There's a woman named Joanna. There's another woman named Susanna. Uh, who were these women? What were they doing? They were contributing to their support, the support of Christ. Out of their means. So let's talk about it for a second. Why would Luke point out these women? I think there's several things. Number one, I think it's to show that women have great ministry. That they serve with Jesus Christ. Listen, it, it is amazing, the ministry of women. Sometimes in our culture, people want to say, uh, you know, especially in the church throughout the history of the church, that women, well, women are kind of second class. They're not second class. They weren't second class with Christ, never been second class. Women have give, different gifts, talents, and abilities, and to be used for God, by God for the glory of our Savior. And I think he points out these women to say, listen, while Jesus was doing his ministry, there were women right there helping him. Women have gifts, talents, and abilities to serve every member in the body of Christ is important and valuable. On Sunday nights, we've been studying the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been in chapters 12, 13, and 14. We've been talking about spiritual gifts, and that's one of the things we emphasized. Every gift, every person is vital for the body. There's a second thing I think that he lists. He lists their names because some of these women will be the same women who are with him all the way. They went all the way with him. They're not only here at this time of the ministry. We're going to find that they were later toward the end. They were there. In fact, we're going to talk about Mary Magdalene in just a second. But he gives some names. He says, there were some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. So they're, they're following Jesus. You know why they follow him? They love him. They want to serve him. Their lives have been changed. Just like that woman that we saw last week where she came in and the Bible had said her sins had already been forgiven because she had already believed in Jesus. And she came in crying, weeping, kissing his feet, pouring the perfume on because she loved him. These women are following him around. They're helping him. Why? Because they love him. And they mentioned one. One is Mary who is called Magdalene. Now, she's famous. She's Jesus all the way. By the way, she, she's with him here. She's at the cross. She's at the tomb. She's at the resurrection. This woman right here. Now, she's from, she's called uh, Mary Magdalene because she's from Mag Magdala, which is a little city between Capernaum and Tiberias. And uh, that, that's how they call people. They say, well, she's from that city, so they called her Mary Magdalene. And it said that seven demons had gone out from her. You know, it's one thing to be possessed by a demon. How about seven of them? Now, I tell you, in, in this same chapter, we're going to see about a man who had legions, had thousands of demons inside of him. This woman had seven demons, and Jesus cast them out. Could you imagine what her life might have been like while she was possessed by seven demons? No wonder she's saying, I'll follow him anywhere. 
wherever he, wherever he goes, whatever he wants. We all ought to feel exactly the same way because we were dead in trespasses and sins and we're on our way to being separated from God forever. And by His grace, mercy, and love, He saves us, gives us eternal life, lets us be with Him forever. We should be saying, I'll follow Him anywhere. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. There's more. <clears throat> he lists this woman, verse 3, a name Joanna, the wife of Creza, Herod's steward. Now, we don't know much about the woman except that her husband was a steward of Herod. Now, the word steward means financial advisor. This Herod is Herod Antipas. He's the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great It was the man, of course, who tried to kill all the little boy babies when Jesus was born. This is his son. This is the man. He's really nice, too. He's the one that cut off the head of John the Baptist. So this man... Her, her husband works for him. He is the steward of Herod, that, which had the idea of a, a high position, financial advisor. She's with Jesus. And then they list another lady by the name of Susanna. She's mentioned no other place. And then he says, and many others. And what are they doing? We're contributing to their support out of their private means. They were traveling around with Jesus and his men, and they were supporting them. As Jesus would go from town to town and village to village, how are they going to live? How are they going to make it? These women supported Jesus. And so here's a question. How in the world does ministry function by means of people? It does not just happen. The people connected with the ministry Cause the ministry to function. Think about the local church. You cause this ministry to function. It doesn't just happen. Some of you may say, "May it probably does just happen because I've never given a thing toward the church. But it only happens because of people in twofold. Number one, you give your talents, gifts, and abilities. You use the spiritual gifts that God's given you, the talents that He's given you, the abilities He's given you to serve and do ministry. And the second thing you do is you give of your money and your possessions. You give so ministries can happen. And for the local church, that's the only way it can function. It is people using their gifts and giving of their money and possessions so that ministry can function. If you say, this is my church, then as I would say, take possession of your church. This is your ministry. This body is your ministry. The Sunday mornings, the Sunday night, the Wednesday night, the Sunday schools, the vacation Bible school, all of the CBI, the Wednesday night meals, the youth, the college, every program, every ministry, women's ministry, children's ministry, Awana, which is going to be glad. That's your ministries. The only way they're going to function is you serve and you give. And they will function and God will use them in a mighty way. But it doesn't just happen. And here are these women right there following Jesus around, making sure they had enough so Jesus could go place to place to give the good news message. We have to do the same thing. Take possession of our church. Well, as we see this, Jesus is going with his disciples. They're They're going to support him. He comes, and this large crowd comes to him, so he's going to give. A parable. Notice verse 4. When a large crowd was coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. Now, as he, wherever he is, he doesn't tell us where he is, but all these people started coming and they were coming from various towns and cities and there got to be so many people. And, and you remember, people followed Jesus and they came to hear his teaching, they came to be healed, they came to, to be fed. And, and most of the time when he spoke, he's speaking to not only believers but unbelievers, big crowds. He's going to give a parable. Now, let's talk for just a second. What is a parable, anyway? It comes from a Greek word, parabole. Para, para means beside. Bole means to throw. 
It means something that is thrown beside. That's what a parable is. It's something that is laid beside to help explain something. So bottom line, a parable is a little story to help teach a point or to help teach truth or to help understand something, whether it's an idea or whatever it is. He's going to give a parable. This parable has two keys to it. It has something about salvation and it has something about growth. And production, and we'll see it as we go through. We often call this parable the parable of the sower, or the parable. Some people say the parable of the soils, because you're going to find a sower, you're going to find the seed, and you're going to find four different kinds of soils. And we're going to see how all of this fits, and and what it really deals with is the soils is how they respond to the seed, and the seed is the word of God. So let me break down this little parable or this section for you. First of all, he tells the parable in verses 4 through 8. Then he gives the reason for speaking in parables because they come up and say, do you know a lot of people don't understand what you're talking about? And he tells them why he does that, verses 9 and 10. And then he explains the parable. And I want you to see it. And sometimes this parable is so misunderstood. And sometimes just get a commentary or two, pull them out, and read what they say about this parable. And you'll go, why are they saying that? And we'll see how it fits together. Let's first start with, he tells the parable. And notice what he says. When a large crowd was coming together, those from various cities were journeying to him. He spoke by way of the parable, and he says this. The sower went out to sow his seed. So he starts off. And by the way, this usually happened in around October, November. That's when they sowed the seed. The harvest was in April or May. So he's sowing. And what they would do is they would go into a field, and they would just throw the seeds out. That's often how they did it. And so he's going out to sow his seeds, and as he sowed, as he's throwing out his seeds, some fell beside the road. And it was trampled underfoot, and birds, the birds of the air, ate it up. So the first one is some fell beside the road. Now, by the field, there were usually paths, and sometimes there were paths right through the fields. So you may have a field, and there's a path where people walk right through your field. As he threw the seeds... Some of it fell on the path, which is real hard because it's been packed down by people all the time. And so it just lays on the top, basically. And what? It was trampled underfoot. People walked on it. And the birds of the air ate it up. It never got into the ground. It never germinated. Okay? There's a second one. Verse 6. And other seed fell on rocky soil. Okay? On rocky soil. Now, there was usually a, some, on some land there was thin layers of dirt and then kind of a rocky hard part underneath. And notice what happened. It says, other seeds fell on rocky soil. And as soon as it grew up, now I want you to see there, it germinated. It germinated. It took it. But as soon as it grew up, it withered away because there was no moisture. So it germinated, but, but nothing really, really happened there. I mean, it germinated, but it didn't grow very far because there wasn't enough moisture. Then there's a third one. There, some, seed, some of the seed fell on thorns thorn, around the weeds. Now, when it says thorns, it's talking about these weeds. It says, other seeds fell among the thorns, and the, thor- and the thorns grew up with it. First of all, these seeds germinate as well, and they grow up, but these weeds grow up with them. And uh, there were some weeds in that time. They'll grow up to six feet tall, and they would take all the stuff out, and they would just choke the plants. And so he says some of the seed fell in a place where there were some thorns and weeds, and they just grew right up with them and choked them out. In fact, he just says, and, and, and it, with it choked it out. And then there's one more, good soil. Fell on the good soil. Other seed fell on the good soil and grew up. And then look what it did. It produced a crop a hundred times as great. Grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. 
Now, let me give you the summary. He went out and he threw the seeds out. Some landed on the path, did not germinate, birds ate it up. Some landed on the rocky soil, germinated, began to grow, but dried up, but there was no production. Some landed in the thorns, germinated, began to grow up, but was choked out. Some landed in the good soil, germinated, grew up, and produced a hundred times. And then as he was saying this, it says he would call out to the crowd as he said these things, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He announced this. Well, what does that mean? Because doesn't anybody have ears? No, ears to hear meant you're listening carefully what he's saying. And here's the bottom line. We're going to see that the believers, those who had believed in Jesus, were hearing what he's saying. They're listening to it. And he's saying, if you're listening, listen carefully. The ones who didn't believe in Jesus, they weren't listening to him. They weren't hearing it. They didn't have ears to hear. Now, as we look at this, he's going to give the reasons for the parable. Notice what happens, verse 9. His disciples began questioning him as to about this parable meant. They came up because, see, they're the ones who have ears to hear, and they want, they want to understand what he's talking about. And they said, would you tell us about this parable? And he said to them, verse 10, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. He says, to you, the ones who have believed in me, it's been granted to you so you can know the mysteries of the kingdom. Now, a mystery is something that, that had been hidden in the past but made known. A mystery is something that you cannot understand unless God reveals it. He's saying, to you, you can get to know the mysteries of the kingdom, the things that I reveal to you. But to these others, no, it's parables. And he's quoting Isaiah 6, and he says, Seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. He's saying believers can understand these truths. Unbelievers are not going to understand the truths. That's a truth. You know 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They cannot understand the things of God. And so as he's teaching them, those who are believing in Jesus, he's giving them more and more truths to understand. But as he's teaching those who reject him, he's teaching in parables where they do not understand these deeper truths and these things. So parables were given for believers to understand, not unbelievers. The unbelievers don't understand them. And the same is true for us. When you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, that you have the Holy Spirit, you begin to understand more and more the truths of God's Word. Let me give you an overview for a second. There, Here is the sower. The sower is, is of course, the, the, our God. The seed is the Word of God. The souls are people. There is one that does not believe. Never germinates, never believes. There are three that believe. They all germinate, they all receive it, and they all have some little growth. They start to grow in some way. Two of those do not. Two of those believers do not produce any fruit. One does. So, in a picture of salvation, there is one who does not believe, and three who do do believe. As a picture of growth of the three, two do not produce. One does. Let's see what he does as he explains the parable. Look what he says. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And he starts off saying that the seed is the word of God. This is the message from God's word. Not only is it the salvation message, but as, as they continue to grow, it's the truths of God's word. And so he says this. Now, those beside the road. Remember, that's the ones where the seed falls and it gets trampled under and the birds come up and eat it. Never germinates. Those beside the roads are those who have heard. They hear, hear the message, but then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so they will not believe and be saved. They never really get it. And it says the devil comes and takes it away. Now, the first point I want you to grasp is that an unbeliever can believe. I've had people come to me and say, a person who's not a believer can't believe the message. They can believe the message. In fact, they can believe it so that the devil does come and take it away so they will not believe. That's what it says. 
Now, how does the devil come and take it away? I don't know. It doesn't say. It just says the devil comes. Maybe it's they hear it, but since at first they're not believing it, uh, they maybe say they'll think more about it, but then it goes away. We know that 1 Corinthians 4.4 4 says the devil blinds the hearts of the unbelieving, blinds them so that they will not believe. So the best that we can tell here, there are people who hear the message and never believe it, and in a sense it's taken away from them. They never believe. There are people who will not believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Here's the second one. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. They believe it. They receive it. They trust it. They go, wow, this is the greatest. And they have no firm root. I mean, people say, well, they're not real believers. They don't have a root. No, not every believer is rooted. In fact, the goal is to be rooted and grounded in the truths of God's word. And many believers are not rooted and grounded in the truths of God's word. So here's a believer, but look what it says about this believer. It says, uh, they receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root, and they believe for a while, but in times of temptation, they fall away. They believe, and then, as trials come in their lives, temptations come in their lives, they fall away. Now, this is not saying that these people believed in their lost salvation. This is not saying these people never believed, because it says they did believe. These are people who believe... And they do not grow. And when trials come into their lives, they quit trusting God. And we all know people in our lives that have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. They have eternal life, but they fade away. They do not grow. They do not go into maturity. They do not produce. That's the second one. Here's the third one. The seeds that fell among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard And as they go on their way, and if you go back to verse 7, it says they grew up, they begin to grow. And they are choked, though, by the worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. They believe, they grow, and as they're growing, the things of this life, both good and bad, the worries, the cares, the pleasures, the riches, choke it all out. And they produce no fruit to maturity. There are so many people in our culture, who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, but they let all of the things of this world choke it all out. We have two souls that believe, but they do not grow or produce. In our lives, we've all seen those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. They have eternal life. They are His children, but they do not grow and they do not produce. Why? Because the trials, the pressures, the the pleasures, the worries stop them. There's one more, verse 15. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. In contrast to the do who believe but did not produce, there's one that goes to the good soil. And what does it say about him? It says they have the honest and good heart. That means they're receptive to God's word, not only for salvation, but for life, for growth. They trust Jesus Christ as Savior. And then look what it says. They hold fast. To it. They're holding fast to the Word of God. That means they're living by the Scripture. That means they know the truth of God's Word and they begin to live. We'd say they walk worthy of the call in which they've been called. We'd say they're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We would say they're grounded and rooted in the Word of God. And what's the results? They bear fruit with perseverance, which means with steadfastness. So you have the Word of God being given out, the truth, for souls. Which are you? Are you the one that have never believed in Jesus Christ as Savior? You might say, well, what if I've never believed? Is it too late? It's never too late. 
It's never too late to put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. If you've never believed, he died for you on the cross, paid for sin right where you're sitting right now. You can believe in him. To those believers that you may have trusted in Jesus Christ, but you're not rooted and grounded. You've fallen away in the sense as the trials come into life, you quit trusting him. Maybe there's some believers that you've trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, but the things of this world have just choked you out. And then last but not least, I hope there's so many of us who not only believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, but you hold fast the Word and you grow and produce. I hope every one of you have trusted Christ. I hope every one of you are growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ because the final, the goal of it all is to hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. This passage deals, number one, with about salvation. Number two, with about producing fruit. There is one who does not believe. There are three who believe. But even of the three who believe, only one is producing fruit. It says they received it. There are people who come back to you and say, these people didn't believe because they didn't produce fruit. I can tell you a whole bunch of people that aren't producing fruit that have believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, He gives you eternal life. You cannot look at fruit to determine if you are saved. You look back to the fact that you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Both the one that fell upon the rocks and the one that fell upon the thorns received the word with joy and grew. They didn't produce fruit. What have we seen? Jesus is going preaching the good news, helped helped by the women. He gives the parable of the soil. It's a picture of salvation and growth. The believers want to know. The disciples want to know about it. He says, "Well, believers are going to get it, but unbelievers aren't going to get it." And he gives the four souls: one who believes, three; one who does not believe, uh, three who do believe. Only one produces fruit. Let me give you the applications quickly. First of all, let's be faithful to proclaim the good news message of salvation. Jesus Christ was going around announcing the good news message of the kingdom of salvation. We need to do the same thing. A, announce salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. That's all it is. We have the privilege and we get to tell people that Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We're not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to all who believes. We're to be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is within us. B, support the ministry. How? By your gifts, talents, and abilities as you serve God and by your giving so that the ministries may function. Number two, for some of you, possibly, I don't know, I look out, I know almost everybody in the room, respond to the salvation message. The seed is sown. Will you receive it with joy? Are you the good soul in the sense that you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior? If you've never trusted Christ today, Right where you're sitting right now, you can believe in Him for eternal life. By the authority of the Scripture, you're saved, and you're saved forever. Three, let's be faithful to produce fruit for our Savior. A, do not let the trials, the worries, the riches, and the pleasures of this world stop you from growing and producing. And it will. It will. People get so tied up in the things of this world, the trials, the problems, the ups, the downs, the pleasures, the things that this world has to offer, and they never grow. Be rooted and grounded. Run the race looking unto Jesus. Tie into Jesus, not the things of this world. B, be faithful to live by the Word. That's the key. It says, they held it fast and bore fruit. 
Hold fast the word of God so we can produce. Abide in Christ. Live by the word. Make an impact for Christ. And who knows? It may be your life is a hundred times production. May we proclaim the salvation message as we stand for our Savior Christ so that others may be saved and grow producing fruit for our Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that uh, Jesus was faithful going around proclaiming the message. We want to be faithful in the same way. We want to announce the message. We want to support the ministry. Lord, I just pray if there's anyone here who's never trusted Christ, that today... As the seed is sown, they would believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Lord, we see in this passage that some people reject him and and the message, in a sense, was taken away and they missed it. And then there are those who believe, Lord, but don't grow because the trials, the problems, they're not rooted and grounded in the truth of God's word and the trials and problems and pleasures of this world just chokes it out. Lord, I pray that we'll all be like that good soil that will hold fast the word, the truths, and will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior and will make an impact for you. Thank you for this body of believers. And Lord, thank you for so many in this room who are the good soil, who not only have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, but are producing and being used by you. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.